Good morning, everybody. In his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, author Stephen Covey states this, that if you want to be successful, you need to begin with the end in mind. To state it another way, let's just ask this question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I know a few of you are still asking that question, uh, but it is a serious question. Uh, Covey goes on to state this. Sometimes people find themselves achieving victories that are empty successes that have come at the expense of things that were far more valuable to them. If the ladder, if your ladder is not leaning against the right wall, he says, every step you take gets you to the wrong place faster. We all imagine. We all dream, don't we? We all desire for future outcomes. I know I do. I desire good and godly outcomes in every arena of life, whether it be my personal life, my family life, my career, or in my spiritual life. As a matter of fact, I was taught to dream dreams about my spiritual life as a teen, and I'm thankful for that. Have you ever dreamed about God using you in a very specific way or in a very special way? On his behalf? Have you ever dreamed about getting to the point where you finally overcome something that you struggle with? I believe one day we'll all get to see the results that began with some of the spiritual dreams that began right here on earth. Sometimes our dreams are born out of great hardship, and other times they are born out of a desire for a better future. Sometimes our dreams are born out of an activity we love, and other times they are birthed from running from something we hate. Sometimes God moves our spirit and gives us passion that births a dream. Consider these phrases for just a moment. Sweet dreams. Your wildest dream. The American dream. To chase a dream. Pipe dream. Dream on, a dream date, a bad dream, hopefully not associated with the dream date, (laughs) a dream job, a dream come true. We understand the nature of the dream and we desire for future outcomes. It's one of the most powerful motivational forces that we experience. One of the most important dreams that we can think about is our spiritual dreams because the beginning point of being all that God desires of us is to dwell on all that he desires we become so today today maybe for some of us we're going to start a dream Uh, maybe for others of us we're going to renew a dream and yet for others maybe our scripture today will solidify a dream And so as we look at our scripture today, we're going to do just what Stephen Covey says. We're going to begin with the end in mind. Now, most people I know would love to be able to say one day that as they reflect back on the years of their life, that their life was lived well. What about you? Well, let's start dreaming a little. Here's the dream according to Proverbs. Every one of us can have the spiritual and moral wisdom we need so that when we look back on our lives, 
we can say that we lived well. We can become spiritually wise in the things of God and morally wise with godly character. So now let's read it from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 5 and then 9. It says this, Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Verse 9, Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. I want that. Don't you? I want that. Now, I know it seems a bit counterintuitive to want the fear of the Lord. Uh, But the fear of the Lord here is used to describe a positive and desirable attitude toward God. It's an attitude of respect and a response of reverence and wonder. It's a prerequisite for relationship in a sense that a person understands the position God holds as as the creator as opposed to the created. Fearing the Lord means you know his place and that you know your place. It means you have respect that would motivate you to please rather than disregard that might lead to complacency. Discerning the fear of the Lord and discovering the knowledge of God then is a spiritual discernment. It's a spiritual discernment that's part and parcel of relationship with him. I want that. I want that because that is a great summary of a life well lived. To know the Lord in his ways and to know and live righteousness. But not only do I want that, I need that. Think about all that we deal with every day that spiritual and moral wisdom would help us navigate. The business decision to take out credit. The political decision to appoint or legislate. The judicial process of equity and justice. The risk, reward of vulnerability in relationships. Being a minister of God in the workplace where we find ourselves. Leading our families. Disciplining our children. Honoring our parents as they age. Managing household income and debt. Giving to the Lord and to others. The struggle of sacrifice. We not only want spiritual wisdom and discernment, but that we need spiritual and moral discernment. But notice here in the passage what else comes with this discernment. Let's look at verses 7, 8, and 11. It says this, He stores up wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity. He guards the paths of of justice and preserves the way of the godly ones. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. Not only does God give us spiritual wisdom and discernment, but he also stores up that sound wisdom for the upright. He also is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He guards. He preserves. He watches over. Let's put all this together just for a minute. I can have spiritual discernment that results in divine protection and moral discernment that results in character protection all as a part of the promise of God. Sign me up. Now, when I was in college, I was a math major. 
I actually got the degree from the University of Tennessee. But don't test me. I'm a pastor now. But let's look at this equation just for a minute. Spiritual discernment plus moral discernment equals the protection and promise of God. There it is. Simple as pie, as they say in Tennessee. SD plus MD equals PPG. So maybe you're asking right now, what about all the bad things that happened to me? Does that mean that nothing bad will ever happen? Of course not. Remember that the Proverbs are timeless truths. They're spiritual principles for practical living that are proven out over the course of time. So what I can hang my hat on is that as a matter of course, this principle is true. That if I live day in and day out in this way, that I'll have the protection and promise of God day in and day out. So maybe you're asking this question, where's the catch? Is it really that simple? Well, frankly, yes, it is. And no, it's not. You see, we tend to think that our lack of wisdom is founded in its availability. As if there's only so much wisdom that can go around. Or there's only so much wisdom and so that it cannot be found. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. Our lack of spiritual wisdom and discernment has nothing to do with its availability. And it has everything to do with our teachability. Look at me with verse 6 and then 10. And, And notice here in the passage where wisdom comes from. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Who gives wisdom? Who gives wisdom? The Lord. So the problem is not availability. You see, all too often we look everywhere and to everything for the things that only God can provide. We look to the things of the earth to find wisdom. Things that we believe will provide answers such as education or government or other people. You fill in the blank on where you might look for wisdom. But notice what Job says in Job 28:12. Job says this, but where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. Are you looking for wisdom? Where are you looking? Notice again what the scripture says. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Do we believe that? It's a timeless truth. Let's say that together just for a moment. For the Lord gives wisdom... From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let's say it one more time. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now let's pause just for a few seconds. And let's rest in that just for a moment. Now if wisdom comes from the Lord, then what does that mean for how we get it? 
Does it mean that God is arbitrary and he decides who gets it and who doesn't? Does it mean that wisdom is only available to some or that it is limited? Now, this is the one thing that excites me most about this passage of Scripture. What excites me most is that we can trust that no matter what we have going on in our lives, that no matter where uh, we are in life, whether we know where to turn, no matter what we have going on, don't know what to do, we can trust that wisdom is available. And not only is it available, but it's readily available. And we know the source. So let's look then at how we obtain wisdom by looking first at a life example. And so Solomon wrote these Proverbs. And so let's take a look just for a moment and see how Solomon got his wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, the scripture says this. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And the Lord said, ask what you want, ask what you wish me to give you. Solomon says this, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people which you have chosen, a great people which are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge, your people to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours. Oh, you get the picture? God came to Solomon in a dream at night and he said, Ask me whatever you wish, Solomon. Solomon, as a little child, says, Lord, I'm clueless. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know how to go in or come out. Help me, Lord. Notice what the scripture says about what God said to Solomon. It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, So that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I've also given you what you've not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you in all of your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days." God comes to Solomon in a dream. What would you like? Solomon says, Lord, I'm clueless. Help me. God says, not only am I going to give you wisdom, but I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for as well. Solomon, in this passage, embraced his inadequacies. Notice, Notice here, what Solomon present, how he presents himself before the Lord. I don't know how to go out or come in. Phrase number one. Uh, phrase number two. 
your servant in the midst of your people. Phrase number three, which you have chosen. Phrase four, so give your servant an understanding heart. Phrase five, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Solomon embraces inadequacies. He embraced his position as servant. He embraced that God chose Israel, that it was God's people, not his people. He embraced that these people were the Lord's and he became teachable. Are you teachable? Well, thankfully, the scriptures don't just paint a picture of wisdom and then tell us that it comes from the Lord and then leave us hanging on how to get it. Instead, the scriptures tell us not only uh, does what wisdom look like and that wisdom comes from the Lord, but the scriptures also tell us how to get it. So let's look a little closer today at how Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, tells us to get there. Here's what Solomon is telling us. That if you want to be wise, you need to treasure God's words with a teachable spirit. But let's look a little closer at the details of this passage so that we can apply it. As we look at verses 1 through 4, I want to call out three application points that we can take away today. And these three things lead to a teachable spirit. In order to be teachable... We must first willingly receive. Secondly, in order to be teachable, we must willfully respond. And thirdly, or lastly, in order to be teachable, we must wholly resolve to seek after God's Word. Now, when we think about someone who is teachable, we often think of someone who listens. And that's part of being teachable. But that's only the first part. Being teachable is so much more than just listening. Listen as we read Proverbs 2, 1 through 4. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding... If you seek her as silver and search for her as a hidden treasure, then you will. Notice the if-then structure of this passage. There are conditions to having the spiritual and moral discernment from God. We can summarize these, these conditions in the words teachable spirit. The first thing that Solomon tells us is that we are to willingly receive and treasure the Father's commands. To receive in this passage means more than to listen. When that's coupled with the parallel treasure, the idea is to take on with a mindset to use. Now, it's clear in this passage that the Father is calling the Son to treasure His commands. He sees that in the context... These commands are sourced in the Lord. Now, we've already seen in verse 6 that the Lord gives wisdom. And so it's safe to say that Solomon is passing wisdom sourced from the Lord to his son. The Hebrew word for treasure here in this passage, uh, sapan, means to store up something 
of great value for future use. And so to to receive for the purpose of treasuring means to listen intently, knowing that you will use it for good purpose one day. In other words, you store up what you treasure and treasure what you store up. Charles Spurgeon explains this concept of treasuring the thoughts about Psalm 119.11. Psalm 119.11 says this, Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Spurgeon says this, His heart would be kept by the word because he kept the word in his heart. Now, I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I love the Home Depot's orange bucket and the slogan, let's do this. Uh, When it comes to doing things around the house, I'm ready to do this. I fixed my car and made it better. At least I'd like to think so. I fixed fixed my air conditioning and made it better. I fixed my plumbing, well, maybe. Uh, Floors, etc. I love to make things better. And most of the time... Most of the time, I do a pretty good job. Now, sometimes I fail, and I know there's a few of you out in the congregation today that have bailed me out. Uh, But there's one thing that keeps me from failing that didn't used to be around. YouTube. It's called YouTube. And when I'm beginning a project or I'm right in the middle of a project and I turn on the how-to video... I'm distracted by nothing, Uh, sometimes to the chagrin of my wife and children, but I'm absolutely focused. I'm distracted by nothing because I know that in just a few minutes, I'm going to do what that video taught me. I'm going to apply what I just saw. Uh, The conditions in this instance are perfect for me to store up information in order to use it when I need it. It's amazing what I can remember when the need is pressing. Do you have a pressing need today? Under what conditions are you teachable? What are your barriers to receiving and treasuring God's Word? The second thing that Solomon tells us about being teachable is that we are to willfully respond Let's look at verse 2. It says, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. To make your ear attentive, coupled with the parallel phrase, incline your heart, means to listen with the purpose of consenting and allowing in. Now, when the Old Testament talks about the heart, we know that the heart is the most important anthropological term in the Old Testament. It occurs 858 times. In the Proverbs alone, it occurs 46 times. Uh, Because there's no equivalent in English uh, for this Hebrew concept of the heart, we use a plethora of words to describe it. The heart controls the body, the psyche, and the will. It is the center of being. Uh, The heart was meant to discern and prompt action. Understanding lies in the heart. The heart plans, and it is the place where decisions are made. The heart has a spiritual function as well. 
The heart accepts and trusts. It feels. It stores moral code. The heart has a spiritual state or condition as well. It can be wise and pure or perverse and stubborn. The direction or bent of the heart determines its decisions and a person's actions. Finally, and maybe most importantly, the Lord knows the heart. The idea here is that the heart receives the parent's teaching and that the child's character is molded. But the heart must consent to the teaching. And so to willfully respond then means to get your heart involved. Notice the progression here in this passage. First, we are to receive and treasure. Then, we are to incline our heart. There is movement here. There's movement in intensity from receiving to treasuring to yielding the heart and finally to calling out with fervor. Look at verses 3 and 4. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding... If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, the last application point comes at the greatest moment of intensity here in the passage. And notice what it says. We are to wholly resolve to find godly wisdom. Uh, To resolve means to dispel any doubt, to have determination and persistence. Uh, We are to seek out wisdom as if it is lost. Notice the metaphor. That which is sought, being silver, gold, or precious jewels, in this case silver, that which is sought is precious and is worthy of being stored away for future use. Uh, The metaphor speaks to the fact that a great deal of effort must be expanded or expended to get it. We've all heard the saying, wise beyond their years. What do we mean when we say that someone is wise beyond his or her years? Uh, What we mean is that the understanding, the wisdom, the insight that a young person displays isn't expected based on their age. You see, we have certain expectations about wisdom, and we naturally and normatively Filter wisdom through the lens of a person's age. But age doesn't define wisdom. Because God gives wisdom to those who treasure his words. Whether young or whether old. When we treasure God's words with a teachable spirit, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And he wants to give it. But are you teachable? And that's the question. The question isn't whether it's available. The question isn't whether we want it or the question isn't whether we need it. The question is a question of the heart. Are we teachable? I know very few people who have said to me, no, thank you. I don't want wisdom. I've never met a Christian who said, no, thank you. I don't want God's wisdom. So the question today isn't whether it's available, isn't whether we want it or even need it. 
It's will we be the kind of teachable people who treasure, who incline our hearts, and who seek out the wisdom that God wants to be. Begin with the end in mind. Let us begin with the end in mind. In faith that God wants to give all the wisdom we need. And then let us treasure God's word with a teachable spirit. Asking him for the wisdom we need. Because the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let us pray. Lord God, I am so thankful that your word doesn't tell us we need wisdom, doesn't tell us that it's available, and then make us wonder how to get it. Lord, I thank you that we can have your wisdom through a teachable spirit. And so, Lord, today, let us become teachable as you move our hearts. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to come to the communion table in just a few minutes. And as the ushers go and get the communion, I want to call our attention to the fact that for over 2,000 years, the ordinance of communion has been a place of teachability in the church. You see, that when we come to the communion table, uh, we come to the table in covenant renewal. Every time we come to the table, we declare again our faith in the body given for us and the blood shed for us. Every time we come to the table, we renew our faith once again. Uh, you see, this table isn't a wayside table. It's a table for the body of Christ. And so you, if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, we invite you to share this table with us today. And so as the ushers pass the communion, uh, we'll worship in quietness and in reflection for the covenant renewal that God desires for you and for me. Uh, that teachable spirit and teachable place. And we'll all take communion together in just a few minutes. When Christ came to the upper room, he taught his disciples. There in that upper room for that last service, they were having dinner. They were eating Passover meal and as they ate Jesus took the bread and he used it as an object and a symbol of teaching and he said to them this is my body given to you take eat Jesus also the same night took the cup and he took the cup and he poured the wine and he said this is my blood 
shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take, drink. The body of Christ and the blood of Christ for the people of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your love for us that in Christ Jesus we find life in you. Lord, I thank you that you have all the wisdom we'll ever need. And so would you make us the people that you want us to be. In Christ's name, amen.